Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. And friends, I'm going to have to invite you and I'm going I'm to ask you to permit me to just kind of rip off the band-aid this morning that I am feeling is that this is one of those Sundays, I don't care how long you've been in ministry, I don't care where you line up, progressively, conservatively, somewhere in the middle, whatever, if you've been in ministry for any length of time, you've thought about the Sunday, that what you would say on the Sunday after something changed with Roe v. Wade. There, I said it. I needed to tear that Band-Aid off. And we are here. This is that Sunday, and I still don't exactly know what it is that I want to say. There's a couple reasons for that. Maybe next time we as a country make major unprecedented changes to the way we understand law and human rights, I might ask the country not to do it on a week when I'm preparing to go on vacation. I've got vacation brain as much as I've got anxiety brain and my mind is filled brain. There's a lot going on upstairs here today and I offer that to you in a moment of vulnerability. But here we are again as a pastor and a congregation, and we as a country. Yet again, just weeks after we did Uvalde, now we are also in a situation that invites us to consider fundamental, foundational principles which touch up against the very core of our faith. Now my prayer last night, sitting with these emotions and thinking about this morning, was no more or no less than saying to God, yet again, what exactly is it, God, that you expect me to do on this morning? What is it that you want from me? I still don't know. But here's what I do. Here's what I do know anyway. Whether you won this week or whether you lost this week, because that's how it's always framed, right? Our country and our world, once again, on this particular day, is set on edge. And it falls to us, the people of God, on our weekly celebration of the resurrection. Let us not forget why it is we gather We come to celebrate the resurrection, do we not? Falls to us yet again to consider our times in light of the gospel. So if you came to hear me talk the other side out of their position, I'm afraid I have very little to offer you today. That is not my point. Frankly, this morning I am filled with anxiety and there's a lot of Jonah inside of me. I'd like nothing more than to get on the next ship and head to Tarshish. I don't even know where that is. I just know it's a long way from here. I pray that you hear that in the spirit in which it is intended. But underneath all of that anxiety, I also feel a great deal of compassion. Compassion, which, to break it down into its root, means to suffer with. I feel very much filled with suffering. Not mine, but everyone's. I am suffering alongside of and with us all as a country as we try to figure out in the world what do we do now. That is what I come to this pulpit with this morning. But like Jonah, I'd like to avoid being swallowed by a whale. And so I probably have some responsibility to say something, yes? And so I wanted to speak to a church, a congregation, that is increasingly forced. Maybe that's not the right word. Maybe the right word is called. I'm not sure yet. We might be called. We might be forced. I don't know. We are constantly in the position of having to answer for national and global realities, yes? 
Now, congregations across the nation were founded on the notion of a global gospel. Yes, we believe that Jesus' story impacts everyone, but that that gospel never, it was global, yes, but it was also very, very local. And so we simply tried to live out the gospel message of Jesus Christ in a local reality. And for generations, it was thought, well, the local church wouldn't really have to answer all the time for everything that's happened, but to simply answer the challenges of the people who call this place home. With a couple of exceptions, it's always kind of been easy to ignore big issues with when the other is geographically, historically, ideologically separated from us. So for instance, we never had to really deal so much with our neighbor. It was easy to talk about communism because it was all the way over there. This was always, friends, a privilege that there are other religious bodies who are our neighbors, brothers, and sisters who have lived regularly with their rights, their status, etc., always on the ballot all the time. But to my mind, we've never really had the pressure of having to ask the kinds of questions that now repeatedly show up on our plate. And now they arrive with breakneck, anxiety-inducing speed. I don't know if they cause anxiety for you. I'm telling you, they do in my soul. Every big issue lands at our feet. And what's worse, we're so used to clear moral and ethical lines that any time moral complexity is introduced, we've come to believe that that complexity means some kind of waffling. It means that now we're questioning our faith in some way. Except, friends, that this moral complexity was always at the heart of our faith. Because when the issues come close to us, when we are faced with big questions like we're asking as a nation now, we discover that we've, we were never really talking about ideas, we were always talking about people. People who will never succumb to such clear ethical and ideological lines. People who will always complicate our Sunday school narratives. People who can respond to us and can argue with us when big ideas like communism or slavery will not argue with us. People with whom we share power and whom we are called to prioritize and also with whom we share voting privileges. It's not that we've lost any kind of ethical clarity. It's that we've lost the capacity for understanding, for compassion with somebody who sees the world differently than we do. And so suddenly we as the church are called to do incredibly hard work lifelong formational work with the world screaming in our ears. So what are we supposed to do? We who are exhausted. We who are beaten down. We, some of you right now who are looking at me going, do we have to talk about this because everyone is? I understand that feeling, I do. We who are exiled from family and neighbors because of these conversations. And some of us who are just flat out scared. Some of us who are short on capacity for sorrow, grief, anger, pain. we got to do this all over again. Well, we as a church, and this is all that I have to offer this morning, is we do what we have always done. And I do intend to put a smile on your face. We turn to the little old church ladies. That's what we've always done, right? Where do we go? Well, we got, let's ask the church ladies. And today I'd like to offer one little church lady, a simple saint, who like us, exhausted, beaten down, exiled, and flat out scared, but who had had enough, and she was scared enough to do something. And I take a great amount of courage from a woman who was never named in the scriptures. And it is, of course, our story from Luke chapter 8. Let us imagine this woman for a moment. 
This woman has so much going against her. First of all, she is a woman, and she is a woman who is alone, which is the worst place to be in that culture. Oh, by the way, it might be one of the worst places to be in this culture. She's been religiously unclean for 12 years. This hemorrhaging is not just a medical concern. We've got to, we're used to thinking this is the issues that show up on a prayer list. It's not that she just had an issue that need prayed over. It's an issue that separated her to the point where she would be shunned from a gathering such as this. She can't get on the prayer list because she's unclean. And because of that, she's exiled from family, friends, community. But she wonders as this man walks through town. Now, we don't know if she knew who Jesus was. Maybe she was just a party crasher. Like, that guy in the middle seems to be the important guy. I'm going to go see how close I can get to him. I mean, how many of us maybe have done that once or twice? Yeah, I see that guy in the airport. I'm going to go see if that's who it is. That's what she does. So she wonders, and that wondering seems to be this beautiful intersection of her soul, this gentle, wizened humility alongside a solid helping of who even cares anymore. What's the worst that's going to happen to me? I'm going to go track this guy down. And she comes up behind him ever so subtly, this beautifully intimate, tiny gesture, and just touches the fringe of his cloak. And she's made well. I want you to hear that again. She is made well. Think if that was you for a second. What would it mean for you to be made well? Use your imagination. Let your imagination spiral out of control. I suspect the first thing you would do is you would feel some of the pains in your body, yes? Got one in my knee, got two in my wrist. I blame hockey for that. The first thing that goes is like, wow, my body would feel better. But is that it? Your spirit, your soul, your relationships made well? Use your imagination. What would it mean for you to be made well? Not just your body, but everything, all of it. And this is the world that suddenly comes crashing down upon this woman when she is made well. Now this woman's courage, and this beautiful thing is one thing, but I want to invite you for a second to set the woman aside. We will come back to her, but let's talk about Jesus' role in this moment. This is one of the more interesting moments in Jesus' life, for my money. Because at every turn... We see Jesus invested in relationship, right? We see just walking up to somebody and all the healing, all the issues, are all, almost all of them are face-to-face. Jesus builds this relationship and it is out of that that healing comes. But in this one, it says power just flows out of him. And I have so many questions about that. I have so many questions about what that means. What would that feel like for Jesus? What did that feel like for the woman? How do you know that power is flowing? Like, don't we wonder at that? I'm like, what in the world's going on here? There's this automatic kind of thing that comes when she touches the robe of Jesus' garment. It's weird, right? We're used to Jesus with power, but it's always active. It is always a choice by Jesus. It's almost like Jesus isn't involved in this thing, and yet the process works. But this tells us something about Jesus, yes? Of course Jesus is about relationship. Jesus yearns to look at us face to face and to tell us, your faith has made you well. But if we're looking for some simple clarity on a day where clarity is hard to come by, here's a simple truth for us. One cannot help but be changed the minute you get close to Jesus. Hear that again. One cannot help but be changed 
the minute that you draw close to Jesus. When we reach out, we are seeking just the edge of the garment of Jesus. Even if there's some perceived sense that Jesus doesn't even know we exist. Jesus isn't even aware of what we're up to. When those doubts and those things are swirling around us and we're like, Jesus, are you even aware of my existence? There is, this story tells us that when we reach out, every time we approach Jesus, we find healing. That is a hard lesson of faith, but I believe it and I think its message is important today. We cannot help but get close to Jesus. Whether we know it or not, healing happens. And think about all the ways that that plays out. Every time we crack open a Bible, every time we approach the communion table, every time we remember our baptism, every time we give alms, every time we show compassion for another, every time we wander in this place, not quite sure why we got up in the first place, every time we look at our neighbor and say, good morning, I don't know what you're doing here either, but I'm glad you're here. Every time we draw near to Jesus, power flows from him. Jesus cannot help it. Jesus' compassion runs so deep, he cannot help but power go out from him and it be healing. And it is not dependent on our ability to perceive it. Thanks be to God. But we also have to say the other thing. That yes, power flows out of Jesus, but Jesus is not and should never be confused with this idea of like a spiritual vending machine. The things we do are not just put in your quarter and out comes grace. Jesus' goodness and his mercy and his grace are both inevitable and personal. It doesn't depend on us. God's grace does not depend on us, but it will never ignore us. So the minute that we come to know that healing, Jesus wants to know who it was, and Jesus wants to talk to us. Jesus turns, sensing that something has happened. Again, this notion, like, What does it mean the power goes out from you? But anyway, and that actually becomes the moment of tension, right? That actually becomes the the, the fulcrum of this story because she thought, I'm getting away. He doesn't need to deal with me. He doesn't want to deal with me. He doesn't care about me, so I'm just going to grab and go. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's not how this is going to work because there is no such thing as healing without relationship. Jesus is going to heal, and then he says, come unto me. And Jesus goes seeking this woman, Just like the father in the prodigal son, Jesus is scanning the crowd, scanning the horizon, trying to figure out who in the world wanted to be so close to him, wanted to seek that healing. He's looking for his child. The apostles are like, Jesus, are you serious right now? There's like a thousand people here. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. We're going to find this person. And when she realizes she can't get away, We imagine her somewhat elderly, and so running away and hiding probably wasn't what she wanted to be doing on that particular day. All she realized, all she can do is fall down trembling, and she tells her story. Excuse me, she tells her story. And Jesus, far from saying, you know, next time I really need you to bring a permission slip, next time I really need you to ask permission, no, he doesn't do that. Jesus invites her back into relationship. He calls her daughter. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Isn't that what we want? And isn't that what we lack in our world today? We want relationship. We're desperate for healing. God, we want nothing more than peace. 
And I believe in this story today, Jesus shows us a way. It is through the goodness of Jesus that is pouring out every time we ask. And it is relationship which is restoring us to God and to one another. But friends, the reason we struggle with this and the reason these kind of conversations are hard in the church, and if they're hard in the church, God knows they're hard in our nation, is because we keep looking for healing in all the wrong ways. We continue to ask powers and principalities to be impersonal dispensers of our convictions without ever considering what those decisions do to real people. Are we really that convinced that being right will set the world aright? Let me ask that again. Are we really convinced that being right will set the world aright? And all y'all who have a sibling know that being right lasts for about a minute at best. You've been there. I've been there. And so to the church I asked this morning, are we seeking healing or do we just want victory? One changes the world and one drives us farther into chaos. The church is called to be brought back into relationship with God and with one another, which requires attention that sustains life. It's not, about, it's not about eliminating one side of some of these things. It's about saying that it's inside of this tension, these questions, this difficulty, where the solutions, where healing happens. It's not about being right. It's about getting it right, ensuring that our neighbors can know that love, healing, and restoration that this woman had the courage to go searching for. That's what the church is called to in this moment. That until we cultivate a curious heart for those who see it differently than us, until we cultivate a listening spirit that is willing to resist that impulse to speak back, until we cultivate compassion to be willing to suffer with the other person before we speak, until we cultivate what Paul listed is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, something else, and self-control. Almost had them all. Sunday school teachers will get after me later. Until we cultivate that, we're poorly positioned to offer anything of value to a world spinning faster and more chaotically. But as always, it's the little church lady that offers hope. Jesus will be good to us, and he will restore us one to another. So friends, the days ahead are not going to be easier. Every time we think we've come to the, all right, this is the issue, wait a week. And I laugh so I don't cry about that. And friends, let me tell you that we, here at St. Mary's, will not solve the issues. And it seems unlikely that we will win any of our neighbors with mere words. Yes, we are called to witness to bigger issues. But we will not solve them here. They're too big for us. And we are too fuzzy-headed in our world to respond with any kind of clarity. We're unpracticed in the art of compassion. What Jesus would say, love your enemies as yourself. We are unpracticed in this. Not because we failed, but because it's the culture in which we live and breathe and move. And let's be honest, some of us are just too scared to move at all. That's me. And maybe all of that will loosen up in time. But if we are to do anything, the church needs to be brazenly, 
naively, hopefully willing to reach out to touch the cloak of Jesus in these times. Not to fix another person, but to see to it that we are healed. To allow ourselves to be brought back into relationship with God. To allow ourselves to be brought back into relationship with one another. To to reestablish this tension between differing views that enables us to find a way forward. And then to offer some healing and compassion across lines, across divisions. But always, always informed by a faith that says that God is going to be eternally good to us who invites us to draw near to him. He says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. We have it in our promises. And so friends, that's where I'm left today. How are we going to do this? I don't know where we're going to land. Shoot, I'm still figuring out where in the world we are. It can feel like a whole bunch of landmines when you're walking around not sure who's where and what they think and how they'll respond. That's a difficult place to be. We can commit to being the church of Jesus Christ in some capacity. Uncomfortable at times, yes. Difficult at times, yes. But we can commit to being that kind of church that reaches out and holds on to Jesus before anything else. And in that, we can be an example that the world so desperately needs. May God take what we have and like loaves and fishes, multiply it into good for others. Amen.